He was the, one of the architects of the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. He led the squadron into the harbor that, that morning, and there's a plaque at Pearl Harbor that speaks of him and his accomplishments as the leader of that team. Um, and it, it, on the plaque it says that later on in life, he became a Christian missionary. And as we were standing at this vantage point at Pearl Harbor, just soaking it all in, I, I, I saw that and I immediately Googled his name. Well, what I found out was, was that he was the pilot that led the squadron into Pearl Harbor and radioed back, Torah, 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 which means that it's like surprise. We've accomplished our task. And through the war, um, there were things that happened that shouldn't have happened. For example, after the bombing, uh, the atomic bomb in, in Hiroshima, the Japanese weren't sure exactly what happened. I mean, they knew it was massive destruction. And so they took a squadron of, so, of, of officers and sent them in to, to, to assess the damage. Every one of those men that went in died of radiation poisoning except him. He's in the South Pacific in sickbay on a ship that's torpedoed. Most everyone dies. He doesn't. So the war ends, and he goes back to his life, whatever that means. He's walking out of a train station, and there are a group of Christian missionaries who were active in Japan. By the way, General MacArthur said after World War II, challenge the church to send 10,000 missionaries to Japan because he knew there would be a spiritual vacuum. Fast forward to today, where less than 1% of the Japanese population is born again, but God is on the move. This man walks out of a train and someone hands him a piece of paper. Very courteously, he takes it because that's cultural, puts it in his pocket, never thinks twice about it. But internally, he is struggling. He is trying to make sense of what just happened. Why is he alive? His nation is destroyed. Hundreds of thousands of people have died. Millions, maybe. And, and there's no answer. So he's thinking and he's meditating. Somehow he remembers that someone who he didn't know at a train station hands him a piece of paper. So he pulls it out and he reads it. It's a gospel track. And for the first time in his life, he's confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Long story short, he finds out who gave him that track. That person gets in touch with a prisoner of war, who, an American prisoner of war, who had moved back to Japan. He absolutely hated anything to do with Japan, and he hated the people. And he got born again, and God starts to work on his heart and says, I want you to go back to Japan to tell those people of my love. And of course he says, no way. There is no way. This man was tortured. This man was a POW. This man was not going back. But guess what? 
He surrendered to, Je- to the call of the Lord on his life. Fast forward to this prisoner of war and that zero fighter pilot in the living room and Fitsuo Mashida giving his life to Jesus Christ. And then those two, as well as other Japanese and American soldiers, pilots, come together and they go all over the world and tell people about love and reconciliation and restoration and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to our Lord? He is so good. Sometimes the last person that you think would come to know Jesus is in the crosshairs, if I could use that terminology, of the Holy Spirit. And they surrender their life to Jesus and God gets the glory. The main theme of the Bible is the radical love of God that compels him to go after people who don't deserve it. It's the main theme of the Bible. All throughout the Bible, uh, you can look and let me know, nobody runs and comes to God. Most of the stories, and I won't say all of them, uh, but most of the stories in the Bible is the story of God pursuing people. Adam and Eve commit the original sin, and what's the first thing they do after they cover themselves? They go and they hide from God. What does God do? God goes and he gets them. And they have two boys, Cain and Abel. And you know the story, Cain kills Abel. It's like right off the bat, there's murder. What does God do? He goes after Cain. man by the name of Lot, Abraham's nephew, is in a situation he really shouldn't be in. He's in Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's in the city gates. God's about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And what does he do? God goes and he gets Lot. I mean, all throughout the Bible, it is the story of the relentless love of God that continues to pursue people. The greatest recovery story of all time, in my opinion, in the Bible, is not Mitsuo Fushida or Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah or you name it, even Adam and Eve. To me, the greatest recovery story of all time is me. And I know you might argue, no, it's you, (laughs) because that's where it's applicable to my life. That God so loved the world and all the generations and all the people that ever lived, but that God so loved me. This is what I love about the Word of God. It's not just applicable to everyone, everywhere, all at the same time. It is applicable to me. Because he saved me and he rescued me from my sin and my selfishness and from Satan. Mostly he rescued me from me. Can you say amen to that? Anybody at all? All right, good. So we're going to look in the book of Jonah this morning. I'm so excited. I have so much to say to you. I can't wait. I can't can't hardly wait uh, to share with you from this. There's so much in this, but we're going to try to just take bits and pieces. We've been in this series called Fasting Focus. And the focus this morning is on Jonah and uh, Jonah mourning, really. Jonah mourning. And the story of, 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 of Jonah uh, can be summarized really in kind of six, five, five to six sentences. First of all, there's Jonah's calling. Jonah's calling where God calls him. And then there's Jonah's, Jonah's running. And after Jonah's running, there's Jonah digesting. Interesting. And after Jonah's digesting, there's Nineveh repenting. And after Nineveh repenting, it's Jonah sulking. 
There it is. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the rest of the message. (laughs) Chapter 1 says this, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Now, I know that nobody at this service would do that. But I know at last service, there's some people that were probably... <laughs> last service, I'm sure there are people going, oh boy, but I, I know you guys, you guys are good. You would not do that. He, he basically says, no way. And you know, who could blame him? This would be like God's calling you into the heart of ISIS and say, I want you to go to that area, get in if you can, (laughs) and he would open the doors for you, and tell those people of my love. And you might think, there is no way. I might as well pack my stuff in a coffin because I'm not coming back. By the way, the early missionaries used to do that when they went to Africa as the gospel went from the coastlands to the inlands. They packed their belongings in a coffin because they knew they weren't coming back. Mm, that's another breed of cat right there. Mm, mm, mm. Mm. Well, no way. Nahum speaks about this place, Nineveh, uh, in the book of Nahum, chapter 3, verse 12, and he ministered after Jonah did, and he said that this city was a bloody city full of lies and robbery. Their brutality made nations shudder in fear. I'll spare you the details of what they did to people uh, as they took land and as they, as they pillaged, but uh, it's absolute brutality. Uh, it, would, it was better to die in the battlefield than to be taken captive because of the things that they did. Absolutely gruesome stuff. And so there's no way that, Noah, uh, that, that uh, Jonah is going to Nineveh. There's no way. So what he does is he heads 75 miles to the southwest in the opposite, pretty much the opposite direction. He goes to a city called Tarshish, which is, we think is in southern Spain. Now he's going to have a little vacation time instead of going into the battlefield, right? Now, why did he do that? Why did he not go where God told him to go? And I would suggest to you that the reason he didn't do it was because of his absolute hatred for the Ninevites. And you know what? Who could blame him? I mean, it's very likely that the Ninevites killed his parents or some of his family. And these were a brutal people. And if anybody didn't deserve, I don't know, the grace of God, maybe these people didn't. I want to say to you this morning that nowhere does the Bible give us the license to hate other people. Nowhere. Nowhere does the Bible give us the license to hate people. Whether they be in the LGBTQ community, whether they oppose your political views, whether they be drug dealers, pimps, or prostitutes, Socialists, pro-choice activists, former President Obama, or current President Donald Trump. The viciousness and the vitriol that I hear from people who claim the name of Jesus surprises me sometimes. The amount of division that I see in the body of Christ because of hatred for people 
surprises me sometimes. I don't stand here before you as someone who's got it all figured out because I do not have it all figured out. And I struggle with my own issues and people that I see certain things. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you something that makes me go crazy is human trafficking. It is something that, 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 that just make it absolutely, I, I can't even explain it, how angry it makes me and how, 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 how passionate I am about, about doing anything that I can to help eradicate that. And, and, and for the men that, 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 that do that, it, it, it is a struggle for me. It is a struggle. It is. It is. It is a struggle. So I, I'm not standing up before you as someone who's got it all figured out. But I will say this, and I speak to myself, that we are mandated to love the sinner, hate the sin, and pray for the sinner. Let me say it again. What's the first one? Love the sinner, hate the sin, pray for the sinner. And here's why that's important. It is very difficult to hate somebody that you're praying for because God begins to give you a heart for that situation or that person or maybe even insight into things about that person that you don't even know about. We're to do those things and then we're to speak the truth in love. Not hate the sinner. Church, do you hear me this morning? It is not a part of our theology to hate. And there are people who do not follow Jesus because they believe God hates them. And that's because there are some people who have been misguided, who have in their quote-unquote zeal for the Lord made people think that there's no room for them at the table of Jesus Christ. And there's room for everybody. Even Mitsuo Fushida. Even me. There's room. So, it says, speaking of Jonah, that he's hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Uh, He made the mistake of thinking that God was limited to a geographic location. And there's no escaping the Lord. He can't run. You can't hide. There's a theological term for that we call omnipresent. That God is everywhere, all at the same. He's outside of time and space and matter and energy. He created those things. And so that he's not bound by that. And so he's everywhere, all at the same time. He's omnipresent. And so how does that make you feel to know that you're God? When he says he's always with you, he's always with you. Does that make you feel good this morning? Or do we need to have a little time of repentance right now? It's like, yeah, you know, maybe, oh, you know what, last night, Lord, I'm so sorry. Let me, uh, yeah, no, I get it. I get it. It gives comfort, and it should make us a little bit afraid, if I could use that terminology. It, it should make us a little bit of that. And so, Jonah was heading in the wrong direction because there was a message God wanted him to give some people that he obviously cared about, but he didn't. So here's the question for you. Are you dispensing mercy, or are you telling other people the good news? Are you dispensing mercy and telling other people the good news? Because if you're not, you might not be where God wants you to be. You might actually be heading in the opposite direction. Because as followers of Jesus, we're called to be grace dispensers. 
We're called to be mercy givers. We're called to tell people the good news of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ in every circumstance. And let's not pretend that that's for someone else. We're all different. We all have different ways of doing it, but we're all called to do it. Let's line up with him and do that. Jonah running, and, and then there's, there's Jonah's digesting. And this is amazing to me. I mean, I, I, you ever read things in the Bible and you just, you just stop and think about it? Like, you've got to be kidding me, right? Listen to this. It says, now the Lord, chapter 1, verse 17, now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Okay, what? I mean, come on. There are people who read stories like this and they go, you got to be kidding me. There's no way. You can't survive. What kind of fish was that? You're in the Mediterranean Sea. There aren't even fish that big. There's all kinds of reasons why this can't possibly be true. Well, here's here's my point. There are two main points in this part. Don't miss the message of the fish or the message in the fish because of the fish. Don't miss the message in the fish because of the fish. Oh, listen. It, the, the, it, it, a whale? I don't know what it was. I mean, there aren't whales in the Mediterranean, which makes it even a greater miracle, right? I mean, obviously a large fish. Sea creature, we don't know, okay? Whales are warm-blooded mammals, So it's not like it would be hypothermia for him inside the mouth, which would be plenty big, or the belly of the whale. I mean, it's it's possible. Remember, whales, and I say it couldn't have been a whale. It might have been a whale. It might not have been. But whales breathe air, so there's plenty of oxygen for everyone. (laughs) A little bit of gas in there. I don't know how that went. Uh, Francis Fox, in his book, Sick Francis Fox, where are the foxes at? Are they here? Oh, yeah, the foxes, anyway. There they are. Hey, what's up, man? You know Francis Fox? No, maybe. Maybe a distant cousin. Francis Fox, in his book, 63 Years of Engineering, says in February of 1891, there was a whaling ship off the coast of the Falk- near the near the coast of the Falkland Islands, and they spotted a whale and they dispatched two boats. They went. Somebody was lucky enough to harpoon it. The other boat was uh, hit by the tail of the whale, and and one of the uh, 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 sailors uh, survived. The other one disappeared. They have no no idea uh, where where he might be. Uh, James Bartley. Where well, this has been documented. Uh, this is not something someone made up. And James Bartley disappeared until they opened up, you know, as they're doing, the, doing what they do on whaling ships back in the day. And they open up uh, the stomach after they kind of hoist it up, trying not to be too gross for you, but they hoist up the stomach, open it up, and there's something in his stomach that's alive. And guess what? After two days, it's James Bartley. The guy in the stomach. The, no, you're thinking a historical figure. No, no, it's, it's like, it, it, and, and, and he said that he lost his senses not because of a lack of air, but because of fright. And he thought that he could have survived till he starved to death. So there's historical precedence for this happening. I believe this was a miracle that took place, but don't get lost in the whole, you know, you know, 
philosophical reasons for why it was this fish or that. that that's irrelevant, okay? Uh, don't, don't, get, don't get lost in that because uh, the, don't miss the message in the fish because of the fish. And, and listen, God will use anything to bring us back to him. That, that's the key. God will use anything to bring us back to him. Saul had three days of blindness. Uh, the disciples had three days of confusion. He'll use divorce. He'll use loss, financial loss, maybe the loss of a loved one. Uh, he'll, he'll use difficult circumstances. Uh, he might even use a fish to bring you back to himself. He'll do whatever it takes to bring you back to him. Why? Because he loves you. And listen, life at home with God is better than a life of sin without him. Can you say amen to that? Life at home with God is better than a life of sin without him. And he'll do whatever it takes. Jesus, and really all the street cred that Jonah needs, was spoken of by Jesus. I believe that that story actually happened because Jesus said it did. It's in Matthew chapter 12. And he's comparing and contrasting the people of his time and the people of Jonah's time and how they responded when the message of God's grace came and how the people in Jesus' time were responding when he was standing right in front of them. And he says this, an evil and adulterous, gener- gen- uh, adulterous generation seeks after a sign. No sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Chapter 12, verse 40. So, uh, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. So uh, that story's true because Jesus said it's true. God will use anything to bring us back to him. Maybe you can remember a certain time or place or event where you were on the run from God, something, something derailed your journey and you stopped. And you had to think about your life. You had to think about where you were headed. Um, that was God arranging, speaking, calling. Well, it says this. So he's in the... Um, the belly of this fish, and it says, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. What would you do? Scream and holler? Yell at God? Think it was all, I mean, how would you, I have no idea. This is crazy. So he prays, a good thing to do. I wrote this down, desperate situations require desperate prayers. If you find yourself in the belly of a fish, try prayer. Oh, God. Right? That's what he does. And his prayer includes lots of the imagery from the book of Psalms. Here's an example. Psalm 18.6 says, In my distress I called upon the Lord and he cried. And, I, and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple. Jonah says, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. 
Psalm 42.7 says, Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. Jonah 2 verse 3, Jonah says, All thy breakers and billows passed over me. See, it seems to me that a lot of this imagery that Jonah learned and was praying, he read the Psalms, so he had the Scripture. So when the time came, and we've been talking about the Word of God uh, in your hand versus the spoken Word of God, the rhema, he had the Word of God in his heart. So therefore, when he needed the Word, he was able to speak it forth. Because he had memorized it. And he's quoting, pretty much quoting Psalms that he, that, he, that he pulled up out of the reservoir of his heart. So what, what we have to do is deposit the Word of God into our heart so that when we need to make withdrawals, there's something there to withdraw. Now God understands the faintest cry of His people in the midnight hour when you can't even express it in words. But at the same time, when we have God's Word in our heart and we remind Him of His promises and we remind Him of His character, not because He's forgotten, but it builds faith in us. It's the Word of God that becomes that rhema that we can hold on to. So He's quoting the Word. And He knows He'll get out alive. He says, Nevertheless, I will look again toward Thy holy temple. By faith, He's able to see beyond where He's at. You know what? You read this part of the book and you think, okay, my man Jonah, he's repented. He's, 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 he's humbled himself before the Lord. It goes on in chapter 2, verse 8. And He says, Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. He's in the belly of a fish and He's like, Lord, I'm thankful. I'm going to sacrifice. You talk about a sacrifice of praise. That would be hard to do. He does it. I will pay what I have vowed. And he says this. He summarizes the Bible in five words. And he says, salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. The work has been done in, in, in Jonah. It's, it's, he, he, he's, he's ready now. He's repented now, now, now God's ready to move him on. And, and, and that literally happens. Literally. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Okay, well, he's done. That would be like, Lord, could we have done this some other way? You don't always get to choose how the Lord will deliver you, huh? Because most of us would choose the easy way. I wonder if he thought, how am I ever going to get out of here? Never mind, never mind. I don't know. Just like, you know, salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah on the land. <laughs> I just, okay, great. Um, and the Lord tells him again to go to Nineveh. And we tend to think that he vomited Jonah onto Nineveh. He's in the Mediterranean Sea. That's 375 miles away. So he's still got a choice to make. Now that he's out of danger, I need to go to Nineveh. It's a long ways away. And he goes. And he preaches the message that God put on his heart. He only has one message. Here it is. 
Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. You are so toast. Listen, I'm not a scare to you. I just came out of the belly of a fish. <laughs> You're going to die. All of you. Judgment. It, it's over. You're toast. Finally, God's going to do something with you people. And I'm the messenger. And I proudly proclaim your demise and your destruction. I'm adding that. But that's all written in there, sort of. Okay? Chapter 3, verse 5, says this. The unthinkable happens. The unthinkable happens. This is the most amazing evangelistic crusade in the entire Old Testament, I think. All right, here's what happens. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. The entire nation. There's at least 120,000 young people who don't know the difference between their left hand and their right hand. In other words, they're not at that age of decision-making. They don't know what's right and what's wrong. So add in all the adults, too, and the grandparents, too. So there may be as many as 600,000 to a million people, some estimates. This is a huge city. It is the London or the New York or the Hong Kong of its day. There's really no city that can compare to it today. I mean, there's, there's really, it really isn't. And so then the word came to the king of Nineveh, arguably the most powerful man on earth. He rules the entire Assyrian empire. Okay? And he rose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And, and this is his way of showing his grief and showing his repentant heart. The the word that he heard convicted his heart to change his life. That's what repentance is. The word of the Lord comes into your heart. It, it creates a, a, a brokenness in your heart and it causes you to change your life. That's what he did. And, and, he, and, he's, and this is the king. And, and it's like, man, even the king is in showing this, this grief and sackcloth and ashes and and, and, he, and he, he caused this message to be proclaimed throughout Nineveh by the decree of, uh, uh, of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way, from the violence that is in his hands, and this is the most, this is the, the, this is an incredibly paganistic, cruel, vicious, warlike people. And the king says, every one of you turn from your wicked ways. I mean, what happened to this guy? What happened to this nation? Right? And then he asked the question, verse 9, who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that he may, so that we may not perish? Wow. This is not even like, but if the entire ISIS movement got born again worldwide and by the thousands of People were saying, we believe that Jesus is the Christ. 
We believe what we did was wrong. We're sorry. I mean, the world would be amazed at this. And again, it's not even a correct comparison, but you get it, right? This would be like that, like that. And they turn. And it says, based on that, verse 10, then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them. He did not do it. God reserves the right to change what he said he will do based on the response of his people. And I read that and I think, church, there's hope for America. Because if my people who will called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, God says, I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. That's a promise for you and I. And it's not a promise to the entire nation. It's that the church would turn. That we would come back to God. That we would place Him back. That we would put aside our selfish agenda and be all about His work and His agenda. That it wouldn't be about me or us. It would be about Him. And if we humble ourselves, and if we fast, and if we pray, and if we cry out to God, He will hear us and He'll turn from whatever calamity might be coming our way. God, you did it before, and you're eager to do it again. How many of you would say, start with me, God? Start with me, God. Start with me for your great name and for your glory. Listen, it turns out that the message to Nineveh was not about destruction. It was about repentance. God wanted the people to have the opportunity to believe. And now they had a chance. And if they turned, he would save them. And so he sends his messenger, the people repent, and God saves them. And he saves them because he's merciful and he's gracious. He extends his invitation to everyone and sometimes the least likely person that you think would turn to him turns to him. How about an entire nation of Assyrians? How about that? He extends his grace to everyone. His grace is enough to save sinners, even the worst of them. Now point at somebody and say, he's talking about you. Do you know three of the greatest men in the Bible were murderers? Do you know who they are? Murderers. It's not a trick question. (laughs) I know you think it's like a Benadab or something. No, 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 you know these names. Moses, murderer. King David, murderer. Huh? Saul, who became Paul the apostle, murderer. Three of arguably the greatest men in the Bible were murderers. There's room at the table for everybody. Everybody. This is amazing. This is, this is I think, every new believer and follower of Jesus should read this book and just like let it blow your mind that our God is that awesome. Now, you would think the church boy 
not really, but Jonah would be fired up. Think of the lucrative Christian speaking engagements. Think of the books, the movie, the gear. Oh, I could, I could market it. Confessions from the belly of a fish. New York Times bestseller. Speaking engagements, all the big conferences. Now we're going to bring up Jonah. What up, Jonah? I see the tanning booth isn't working. You're still pale as a ghost from the fish thing, but don't let it distract you. He is white as a ghost, okay? He's like paper white, all right, because of that ass. Anyway, he gonna, we're going to let him tell his story. Come on out, Jonah. Like, oh, man. Hillsong, speaking engagements. Oh, run the circuit. I joke. Because Jonah's not happy. Let me just read it to you. It says in um, chapter 4, verse 1, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't, here we go, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? Isn't that great? I knew it. I told you you would do this. Lord, you ever do that? First service? I, yeah, I had all kinds of, you guys. I knew it. I, you know what? I knew, and that's why I didn't want to. Okay, listen. That is why I ran away from Tarshish. I knew, and he has an amazing description of God. We should all memorize this. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. Is that awesome? That's the message of, that's what we need to let people know. God is eager to love on you. He wants you. He doesn't need any of us, but you're fearfully and you're wonderfully made. And the way you're living right now is not God's plan for your life. Come back to him. Stop running from him. He has, he loves you. He has a purpose. He has a plan. And it's for, he wants to use you in ways you could never be used. He wants to take you places that you could never get to. And he wants to do something inside of you that nobody else or nothing else can do for you. And that's give you dignity, give you identity, give you purpose, tell you that you're his son, you're his daughter, so much so that he sent his son to die for you so that you could be with him. That's the message. He's got it right. It's like Jonah, spot on. What are you mad about? Lord, I love this. After that amazing dissertation on the character and nature of God, he says this, just kill me now, Lord. Oh my God. Are you serious? Jonah, you're like, you know what? I knew you were going to save those people Take me out, God. Like, and what if God went, cool, man, and the story ended right there. Ooh, I wonder what. Yeah, whatever happened to Jonah? I don't know. He went to Nineveh, and we never heard from him again. (laughs) What if God, oh, take, oh, just kill me now, God. Okay. I mean, I don't, I, it's, that's why I love the Bible. What religious book tells the truth about their prophets? and their people. This book. It's the truth. I mean, how much, how much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them the truth about 
what you believe to be. Do you know who said that? Do you know Penn and Teller? Familiar with them? Who's the big guy? Is that Penn? Okay, Penn, he said that because an evangelical Christian took the time years ago to give him a Bible and tell him the truth. And he said, this man looked me in the eye and this man told me the truth. And you know what? He said he's the first one who, who I think I've ever met that truly believed in what he says he believes in. And he, was, he, he respected that man, even though he disagreed, but still. And, and he said, how much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them the truth about where you believe salvation? He said that. All right, he's mad. Lord, kill me now. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. And the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? Read chapter four this week. Read the whole book this week. But the beauty of chapter four in God's, he, he never tells us what happens with Jonah. He never tells us if Jonah repents or if Jonah sees the air of, uh, or, or soft. We, we never know. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting to me. We never know if he had a change of heart. All right, let me wrap it up with this. Wrap it up with this. It turns out that God cares about the Ninevites. And it turns out that God cares about the messenger, Jonah, too. Because what does he do? He goes after Jonah. And he has a conversation with him. He cares. Fasting and evangelism go together. Are you praying for someone? Are you praying for God to move in their life? Are you praying for their eyes to be open? Are you praying for them to have, to have that revelation of who Jesus is? You might want to consider fasting, because fasting and evangelism go together. Secondly, no one is beyond God's reach. No one is beyond God's reach. And I don't care if you're at what society calls the bottom or if you're what society calls the top. No one is beyond God's reach. Deion Sanders. There's a time in his life. Grew up knowing the Lord arguably one of the greatest athletes ever to live. And he comes to a point in his life where he wants to end it because of everything happening in his life. And he drives his car off of a ditch, hoping that he will die. And he survives. God has mercy on him. And he gets back in line with God. Isn't that interesting? No one is beyond God's reach. Not even Jonah. Let me ask you a question. Are you running from God? You know, the thing about running from God is if you're doing it, you know that you are. Is there something in your life that God wants to get to or get at and you just, you just won't go there? If there's a direction, there's a thing, there's something, and you know it because it doesn't go away. And it's always in the back of your head. You forget about it for a little bit, but then it comes right back. Because God is speaking through the repetition of constantly reminding you. And are you running from God? 
Have you grown up in church, but you're not walking with him right now? Are there areas in your life that you know are not in line with him? And he's been calling and calling and telling you, get this right. Let this go. Change this. Don't go there. Do this. And you know it because you keep hearing it. And now you're hearing it again today. And the Holy Spirit is revealing to you exactly what that is. Are you running from God? Let me tell you what. He will continue to arrange circumstances in your life to bring you back to him because he loves you. And a life at home with him is better than a life of sin without him. Nineveh had experienced two severe plagues and a total eclipse before Jonah came to visit. I believe God was arranging circumstances to a people who are very tuned in to what's happening in the skies. And he was speaking in that so that they would be ready for the messenger when he got there. Jonah certainly wasn't the perfect messenger, was he? But God still used his message. Isn't that great? Turns out that God uses imperfect people to do his work. How many of you qualify as imperfect people? Anybody at all? A couple of you in here? Yes, me too. Me too. No matter how serious your sin is, God stands ready to forgive you. I know what you're thinking. Pastor, you don't know about my sin. Listen, all I know is this. The grace of God is deeper than the depth of your sin. I don't care how deep it is. It's deeper. Because the grace of God is inexhaustible. And so I was talking to my wife last night, and uh, I was asking her some wisdom on this, and... um, You know, she dropped a couple nuggets on me, and I thought, okay, Pastor Box, you know what? Why don't you just teach the message then, all right? She has a way of very casually dropping these golden nuggets. I'm like, whoa, I should have asked you when I started all this. I could have saved myself all kind of sweat equity trying to irk this thing out. Just give, what's the bottom line, honey? Oh, wait, wait, hold on. What'd you just say? And I struggled whether or not I should even tell you that this is what she said or or claim it as myself. But I knew on the ride home, she might say, wait a minute, I told you that. What? Oh, that's right, huh? Yeah, no, I, I'm sorry. I, uh, I didn't give you credit for that, did I, honey? So I want to do that because um, uh, she does speak that way all the time, all the time. And she said this, and it's pretty profound. Listen, church, we are free to love others beyond their sin. We are free to love others beyond their sin. Does that free you up? I can't go there. I can't say that to them. I don't even like those people. I know. But you're free to love them beyond their sin. Here's why. You're not the one that brings change. If you think it's up to you to change someone, you will be upset and mad if they don't change. Because you'll think it's your job. It's not. Does that set you free, parents? Some of you are reluctant. That's because your baby's still small. Yeah. And he's feeling it. But you got the older ones too. Our job is to point them in the right direction and to train them up in the way that they should go. But we know ultimately it's between them and the Lord to be that example. You're not the one that needs to bring judgment. 
Sometimes we feel like we have to tell people about the judgment of God. And there's a place to do that. But I hope that in telling people about the judgment of God, you've taken the time to establish a relationship with them. I talked to a man at a street corner one time in the... Uh, it's a particular group of people that sell magazines and bean pies and incense. Don't ever buy any ever, 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 ever from them. It goes to a cultic belief system. Anyway, um, I was having this in-depth young guy. And, and, I was, and this is when I was in my super judgmental days, you know, super judgmental. And I said, listen, man, here's what's going to happen to you. You're going to die and you're going to go to hell for all eternity. And for a fraction of a second, he stopped all of his arguments and he thought about, and I know that the Spirit had touched him, but then he went right back on with his arguments. And you know what? I've always felt like I'm not sure that was the right thing to say. What I should have said is, what's your story, man? Tell me about you. How are you in this place? How did you get here? What do you believe about Jesus? Hey, you want to go have some lunch or something? Let's go down. Let's talk about this. Let me engage with you. Let me, let me, know, who you, let me know your story. And in the context of that, I could say, he who has the Son has life. He who doesn't have the Son does not have life, but the wrath of God abides in him. Now I have, a, I have a platform to tell him the truth about that. You're not the one that needs to bring judgment. Last thing I'll say, and I have a little video I want to show you, so hold on, we're almost done. We had some family business today for crying out loud. <laughs> Give me a break. I understand what time it is. Relax. Just look at me and smile. Don't ever underestimate the power of one person. Church, hear me. Do not underestimate what God could do through you. We understand you're not qualified. We understand you don't have the experience. We understand you don't have the Bible memorized. We already know that. We understand you're imperfect. All of us are. But do not underestimate what God could do through you. It's a mystery, isn't it? But it's beautiful. I have a Lauren Daigle song I, I want to play for you guys. And, and I'm going to ask our prayer team to come up right now. And during this song or when it's over, if you need prayer, if you're on the run from God, please stop running. Repent. Pray with someone. Receive God's grace and God's mercy this morning. If, if you... If you just need a touch from the Lord, God's been healing people in our church. Do you need a supernatural touch from God? Believe it. If God would call you to come up and, and, and receive it, receive it. Don't just burst out of here, okay? Super Bowl is not till next week. We got time, all right? We'll get you out early. But um, we're going to play this video, and if you guys need prayer, maybe you need to come back to Christ or receive Christ for the first time. Come up and join us, and um, after, you're dismissed. If you got to go away, understand, or if you want to watch this, you're dismissed after that. All right, go ahead, guys. You are not hidden. There's never been a moment you were forgotten. You are not hopeless. You have been broken, your innocence stolen I hear you whisper underneath your breath I 
There is no distance that cannot be covered over and over. You're not defenseless. I'll be a shelter. I'll be your armor. I hear you whisper underneath your breath. I hear your SOS, your SOS. I will send out an army to find you. I hear.